0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome to everyone here this morning. Welcome to those of you online. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. We're really really glad that you're with us today and uh, as we always say we're just so grateful for visitors, grateful to see new faces, and grateful for everybody who's chosen to come worship with us this morning. It really is an honor and a privilege. So thank you for being with us today. And I wanted to just rep a few of the classes that are happening here at the Springs uh, that some of them just kicked off today. So we just finished up Rick Geyer's Meeting God at the Margins, wonderful class here in the auditorium. And Paul and Alyssa Crawford have started a new auditorium class uh, called When Research Catches Up with God. So that's here in the auditorium. And then we've got a couple classes offered both in room 113 on this northeastern side, there's a women's class, which is called Take Courage. And then down here in room 207, we've got Growing Together, which is a class for uh, parents of young children taught by Brent Stafford. I'm sorry, 207 is up in the corner. My mistake. Do not go down there. I don't know what's happening in there, but it's not Brent's class. So... (laughs) Head up the stairs for Brent's class. And then, of course, Ryan Jones, he is going to be starting an auditorium class in November called Becoming Whole that I'm sure is going to be really wonderful. So I just wanted to remind you, we've got some great classes offered here at the Springs every Sunday morning at 930. Get your friends out. Come on out. It's a good time. And we've got some great conversations happening in this church. So I hope you'll join them. Another uh, thing I wanted to invite you to next week is our brand new sermon series that we will begin here on October 10th called The Letter of James, Wisdom from Above. So we're going to be spending seven weeks together in the Letter of James, which is a fantastic letter. So, so wonderful. So, so challenging. I'm always challenged when I come back to the book of James. And I think it's been a long time since we've been in the book of James as a church. So I hope you'll be here next week as we kick off the letter of James together. But this morning we're finishing up readings of scripture and we've been in this for three weeks now. This is our fourth and final week and so far we've been in a gospel text, we've been in an Old Testament narrative, last week was a New Testament letter and this morning we're going to finish out in the Psalms. So if you'll turn over with me to Psalm chapter 96, that's where we're going to be spending the morning together. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Let's pray our Father in heaven. Your name is holy. And we ask for your name to be hallowed and for your will to be done and your kingdom to come on this earth. God, we give thanks once again to be able to gather around your word this morning. I give you thanks for each and every heart in this room, each and every person Lord, and I ask that you would continue your work of sanctification in their lives, of making them holy through your words. God, continue to guide this church into your truth. Lord, we ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit, and I ask for the gift of preaching. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've talked before about how much I enjoyed reading Donald Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz. I read that book in high school, and it just hit me in the right way at the right time. It was a wonderful experience, and I'll never forget the opening words of the book. He has this little author's note right before the book starts, and he says this. He writes there, I never liked jazz music because jazz music doesn't resolve. But I was outside the Baghdad Theater in Portland one night when I saw a man playing the saxophone. I stood there for 15 minutes and he never opened his eyes. After that, I liked jazz music. Sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. It is as if they are showing you the way. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you have had experiences like that with music. Maybe you went to a concert that unexpectedly swept you off your feet, or you experienced the music of another culture for the first time, or maybe you heard an old song in a new way. Music has a way of winning us over to what is worthy. It has a way of pointing us towards what is beautiful, and good, and true, and worthy of our attention. And for the people of God, the music that has always done that, that has always pointed us towards what we need to be pointed towards, is the Psalms. The Psalms have always been the music of Israel and the church, the music that has shown us who to love and how to love, and namely, that is God. And so we're spending time in one of those psalms this morning, a beautiful psalm that shows us what is truly worthy of our attention, and that's Psalm 96 this morning. And we're going to ask the four questions that we've been asking throughout this series of each text that we've encountered. And so we begin this morning with the first question, what does this text say about God? What does this text say about God? So let's go back together to verses 3 through 5 of Psalm 96. It says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens." So this is, Psalm 96 is an enthronement psalm. It's a psalm proclaiming God as king on his throne. And we talked a few weeks ago about Israel kind of ditching God's kingship for a human kingship. But in the psalms this morning, we see them proclaiming God as king. God is is Lord over all the earth. He's not just a partisan, sectarian deity. He's not just a tribal deity. This is the God who has made the heavens. And that's in distinction to the idols, the lowercase g gods, the gods of the peoples, right? And in fact, there's some fun wordplay and maybe even a pun happening here with that word translated idols. It actually could be translated un-gods, right? The gods of the peoples are un-gods, right? They, They have no power, they have no existence in themselves. But the Lord made the heavens. Uh, if you're not familiar with the new atheist movement, you're probably not missing all that much. I think there are really even some atheists that aren't very enamored of this stream of unbelievers. Uh, but it's a movement kind of led partly by the figurehead uh, Richard Dawkins. And, and Dawkins is, as far as I can gather, uh, a talented biologist, but not as talented of a philosopher, and Dawkins will, will say some things, one of the things he says that I've heard kind of repeated is this, he'll say, look, uh, you Christians are atheists about a number of gods, and so you should just be like us atheists and go one god further and just disbelieve in that god. We, we just believe in one less god than you, which sounds a little clever on the surface, but ultimately it winds up being a little bit vacuous, and here's why, uh, Basically, when he says this, he's committing what philosophers like to call a category error, right? So when we talk about lowercase g gods, we're talking about beings among other beings, beings that still belong to nature, right? That derive their existence from elsewhere. But when we're talking about God, we're talking not about a being among other beings, but about being itself, Right, we're talking about uncaused existence itself. Not something that belongs to nature, but that transcends nature and indeed upholds nature. Right, so an example, imagine, imagine you're on the beach with somebody who is skeptical of geometry. And imagine that they draw a triangle in the sand and they say look you and i both agree that uh, this triangle is not perfect you know the sides are not equally straight it's not a perfect triangle so why don't you go one triangle further and disbelieve renounce the triangle that's described in your geometry textbooks well again that's a category error right because we're confusing this one instantiation of a triangle with the triangularity itself that's described in the textbook, right? That the triangles we write in the sand or on chalkboards are imperfect because they fail to conform to the perfect standards of triangularity in itself. Right? So Psalm 96 tells us that these, these gods of the peoples are ungods, they're idols. Right? They belong to nature. They they don't have any power or existence in themselves. It's derivative. But the God who made the heavens is underived existence. It is the very possibility of anything existing at all? It is the God who reigns over all the earth. And indeed, this God, because he is the universal God, the God of all the cosmos, of all existence itself, is not just a sectarian God of one tribe. He is the God of Abraham, but the God of Abraham wants to bless all the nations, is the universal God of the cosmos, right? In verse 10, read, it says, Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. So what is this text saying about God? It's saying the creator God is reigning. The creator God is reigning. He doesn't just belong to one little section of the world, just one little people or piece of land. He comes through Israel to all the world. He reigns over all things. This creator God is upholding all things in existence that rely on his governance. The creator God is reigning. So what does that mean for the world? What does Psalm 96 say to us then about the world? Well, for the world, let's look back at verses one and two once again. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. So God brings the world into existence. And how does the world respond? How does the universe respond? Music, song, right? Sing to the Lord all the earth. Creation is is singing the praises of God. We find that God is not just creator, God is choir master. He's coaxing forth the, the songs of the cosmos to sing his praises and show his goodness. Indeed, we see this again in verses 10 through 13, where it says, again, say among the nations, the Lord is king, the world is firmly established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. And let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees and the forest sing for joy before the Lord. The heavens, the earth, the sea, the fields, the trees. What does this text say about the world? It's that creation is God's resonance chamber. Creation is God's resonance chamber. Now, when I think of a resonance chamber, I think of an acoustic guitar, right? Because that's basically what it is. It's a, a neck with strings connected to this big resonance chamber, the body, And so when you pluck that string on an acoustic guitar, it begins to vibrate. It begins to vibrate a note that goes down to the bridge where that string is pinned in. And that bridge begins to vibrate with the note, which is saddled to the top, the soundboard of the guitar, which begins to vibrate as well, which starts the air inside that resonance chamber vibrating and shooting out the sound hole to your ears. This is what creation is for the glory of God. Creation is God's resonance chamber. It is amplifying God's glory to your ears. Creation is singing the praises of God. It's humming the hymns of our creator. Creation is vibrating with the goodness and life and gift of the creator God who reigns. And I love this this image of the trees, right? This image of the trees singing for joy before the Lord. Because there's a sense in which they're even doing that now. The trees and the way that they harmonize with the other trees and fungi in the forest and the way that we fashion our guitars out of trees and we build concert halls and recording studios. Even now, the trees are vibrating with the praises of God's reign. In Psalm 96, creation is God's resonance chamber. I can't help but think of the parallel imagery in Isaiah 55. In verse 12, it says, For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And so we come to our third question this morning. We come to our third question of Psalm 96. Where is the grace in this text? Where is the grace? Well, in verse 10 that we just read, it talks about how God is going to judge the peoples with equity. In verse 10, and then you skip down to verse 13, and it says that before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Psalm 96 is a triumphant song, but beneath the surface, something is amiss, right? It, it's a triumphant song of God as creator and king. But if you read between the lines, you can see that in the background, all is not well. The whole reason that God is coming to judge the peoples with equity is because all things are not equal. The whole reason God is going to judge with righteousness is because in the world right now, all things are not right. In fact, some things have gone terribly, terribly wrong. Psalm 96 hints at this and and shows us. And if we read it without that, we'll take a triumphant song and make it triumphalist. We have to remember that even though creation is singing the praises of God, there's dissonance. There is singing that's off-key. There is discord in the world. In fact, if you've seen uh, any of the Lord of the Rings movies or The Hobbit or maybe you've read them, uh, you know that J.R.R. R. Tolkien is a, quite an imaginative guy. And one of his most imaginative works that was never released during his life but was released afterwards is called The Silmarillion. And The Silmarillion is kind of this little collection of his mythological stories, kind of the, the founding of Middle Earth that he dreamed up, this fantasy world he created. And particularly at the beginning of the Silmarillion, it tells his version of the creation story. And of course, Tolkien was a devout Christian, so you can hear Christian themes throughout the Silmarillion and in this creation story. And in his story, it talks about the one God who creates the offspring of his thought. And then he gives them the score. He, gives them, he tells them the music that he wants them to sing and to play according to his ideas, right? And they're gonna sing essentially creation, the world into existence. That's how they make the world is through song and music. But one of the offspring of his thought is named Melkor, And Melkor is the most knowledgeable and powerful of these offspring. And so because he desires power and glory, he begins to sing not according to the themes of the one God, but according to his own themes. He begins to thi- sing in ways that are discordant with the other music. And so those around him even start to sing according to Melkor instead of the one God, introducing this dissonance. And Tolkien describes this music of Melkor as this clamorous clanging, right? This continual repetition, this braying of one note after another. And into this world comes. Dissonance and discord. Fiction has a powerful way of stating truths about reality. And we can hear the themes of the Christian story in Tolkien's unpacking of his own story. Right, we can hear reminders of that theological truth that the world is God's good creation, but that world is now broken. Right, that world has fallen and is marred by the sounds of dissonance, is marred by the discord we see, is marred by sin and death. Creation is God's resonance chamber, but there is discord. So what is the grace in this text? Well, the grace is that God is going to judge the discord. God is going to judge the discord. So often we get the music wrong. We hear dissonance in the world. There are things out of joint that aren't in harmony, that aren't in step. But we believe, according to Psalm 96, that God is going to come and judge the discord, that he's going to bend it back to his tonal center, that he's going to judge our sour notes and instead tune our hearts to sing his praises and lead us into that future where we all sing in unison once again. So in the meantime... What must we do? That's our our final question that we've been asking of these texts is, what does it require of us? What can we do? Well, Psalm 96 isn't shy about what it wants us to do. From the very beginning in verses 1 and 2, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Sing, bless, tell, declare, ascribe, worship, say. Sing to the Lord. That's what Psalm 96 is calling us to do. And that word tell, particularly, it says tell of his salvation day after day. There's, there are gospel overtones to that verb. It's the uh, announcing tell, the announcing of the good news. And so what Psalm 96 calls us to do is to sing to the rhythm of God's reign. Sing to the rhythm of God's reign. Even in the midst of the discord, even in the midst of the dissonance, even in the midst of sin and death and its pull and weight on the song, God calls us through Psalm 96 to sing to the rhythm of his reign. To sing according to his key. Literally and metaphorically, we are doing that this morning. When we come together and sing, we remind each other of God's reign, of his righteous rule, of his equity, of his righteousness and justice. And we live that out by singing the song of God's love to all of creation. Sing to the rhythm of God's reign even in the midst of the discord. I was able to spend a little bit of time with Lee and Gene Mullican this past week. And those of you who know the Mullicans know that they've been walking a very hard road of health right now with a lot of grace. And I was telling Lee a story about Jean. in fact, a story about, Lara's and my the first Sunday when we visited before we started attending. And we still remember standing just several rows back from Jean in the audience. And we've never forgotten that because we were just arrested by her incredible heart of worship, as many of you have been. We were just arrested and overcome by her spirit-filled, heart on fire, hands outstretched, giving of herself to God. In worship. And I was telling Lee about that, and he basically responded by saying, When it comes to worshiping God, you can't stop Gene. She's unstoppable. That Gene, even in the midst of, of crisis and cancer, Lee and Jean, in the midst of all this road that they've been walking together, they have never stopped singing to the rhythm of God's reign. They have never stopped, even through the noise and the dissonance and the cacophony, they've never stopped hearing the symphony of God's love and joining in with their voices, with their lives. This church is filled with people like that. This church is filled with people who somehow in the midst of it all have found a way to march in time to God's temple. Somehow in the midst of the sin and death have found a way to sing to the rhythm of his reign even as we see the discord, even as we hear the dissonance. They've found a way to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to tune their hearts to sing his praise to live according to his tempo of justice and righteousness and goodness. and Church, that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to sing to the rhythm of God's reign because he is the creator God of all creation who is reigning now and will finally lay to rest sin and death that he defeated on the cross and will lead us into his perfect harmonic future. Because the God who is reigning now, the God who is coming to judge the living and the dead, is the God, Jesus Christ, who sang more perfectly than anyone according to the reign of God's kingdom. Let us stand and praise and sing to that reign even now, church.